thank you for choosing to join us today for worship. We are glad that you are with us. Um, and if you are new uh, or newish, we have just begun a new series um, on the Ten Commandments um, that we're calling uh, Blueprints for the Good Life, the Good Life Blueprints for Living in Love. Um, and uh, we are going to read this morning uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 5. As we do that, it is the Word of God, and so uh, hear it as such and receive it as the Word of God, which stands forever. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us. With all of us who are alive here today, the Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up on the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I'm going to end our reading there today. Lord, I pray that you will help us to have ears to hear your word hearts that are willing to receive it, and feet that will walk in your ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Brian kicked off this series on the Ten Commandments, um, starting us in the New Testament and looking back, talking about Jesus, commanding us to love God and love our neighbor. So now we're going to actually go back into the Old Testament and look at these Ten Commandments. Now, as we do that over the next 10 weeks, look at one commandment a week for the next 10 weeks, I, I need to just bring something up that may seem odd to you or may seem obvious to you. And, and that is that sometimes people have told me, well, Pastor, that's the Old Testament. Like, that doesn't apply anymore. We just need to love people. And uh, this is what Pastor Andy Stanley teaches, that Jesus' command to love replaces the Ten Commandments. In fact, he said to be clear... Thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments, is what he wrote in his book, Irresistible. And so, <clears throat> being that that is um, a belief that is common, and even in our area, and some of my friends hear that as they go to church, um, is that right to say that, well, no, so there's the New Testament, it's replaced the Old Testament, and so the Ten Commandments are now replaced, and we're just called to love God and love our neighbor. Some of you may also hear another statement that I've also heard, people say, I think we need a little more of the Old Testament God. Because they don't like what they see and they want a little bit more of justice or wrath or something. I'm not exactly sure what they mean by that. And so I, I hear things in two different directions when it comes to the law of God. I know people who are drawn to keeping a lot of the Old Testament laws and feasts and seventh day worship that kind of springs out of the Hebrew roots movement. And while they rightly see the Old Testament as foundational to the New Testament, they think that because the Old Testament is the Word of God, as we believe it is, the Torah is, that then they got to keep all of the Torah as well. So given all that, that, there's all these different views in and around our community and our church, how should we view the law? How should we view when God gives commands to us, what are we to think of that? How do they apply to us today? Do they apply to us today? 
me tell you this, that the Bible is one story that unfolds, unfolds across the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you need to see it that way. And if you don't see it that way, you, there's, some, there's some great theology books you can read that will help you with that. There's a really great theology book that's very simple. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it will help you to see that it's one story across the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you can read it to your kids and learn it together. Or if you don't have kids, just read it for yourself. It's good to read. I, I'm always uh, impressed when I pick it up and read it. So yes, in the Old Testament, there are some things that cease, that do not continue. Theologians call that discontinuity to the New Testament. But there's also some things that do continue into the, the New Testament. And so as we look at these Ten Commandments over the next ten weeks, what we're going to see is how they show us the goodness of God and his character. And how, as we understand that, it will help shape for us things that are good in life. But today, before we get to all that, we need to zoom out to look at some kinds of law that there are in the Old Testament. Three different kinds. Hopefully this is going to provide some clarity for you when you read the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then we're going to zoom in to look at three good uses for the Ten Commandments. So, um, first, we're going to zoom out and see these three kinds of law in the Old Testament and which ones still apply to us today. So there are three kinds of law in the Old Testament. Ceremonial laws, judicial laws, and moral laws. Here's a way to think about those broadly. Ceremonial laws have to do with temple worship. When you come to temple, what must you do? How are you going to be clean in order to come to worship? What kind of sacrifice must you bring? What kind of clothes must you wear? What kind of kosher food should you eat? When should you keep feasts? All those things that the Old Testament has around the Jewish law and temple worship, those are ceremonial laws. Judicial laws are laws of the land, laws of the nation, right? Laws of each nation are founded on some morals that they hold to or believe in. The laws of Israel are founded on the law of God, the moral law of God. But the judicial law then takes that and expands it out to different uh, scenarios and applications and case law and stipulates punishments for it. Now let me just give you an example of this. Let's look, these uh, verses will be on the screen. Exodus 21, verses 35 and 36. If you're ever wondering what to do with your bull, okay? If anyone's bull injures someone else's bull and it dies, the two parties are to sell the live one, divide the money equally, and divide the dead animal equally, okay? But if it was known that that bull had a habit of goring others, yet the owner did not keep it penned up, the owner's got to pay animal for animal and take the dead animal in exchange. So the, the one who got offended gets the new animal, a brand new one, and the, and the other guy gets the dead animal. There's judicial laws. This is how it'll work out in society. Now, every society has stipulations in case law how they spell that out, right? These are some of the examples of judicial laws in the Old Testament. And then there's the moral law. The Ten Commandments are ethics for life as a follower of God, and they are foundational for a just society. So the question is now, out of all those laws, those kinds of laws, which ones still apply to us today? And um, let's consider each one. So what about the ceremonial law? That's all the temple worship stuff. Did you bring your sacrifices? 
in today, right? You, you might bring sacrifices of an offering you're going to give, but, but it's not hopefully a dove or a lamb that's been slaughtered that you're going to bring to put here before us, right? Because the ceremonial laws are all about how to be cleansed and made um, clean before God. Those have all been fulfilled in Christ. This is what the whole book of Hebrews is about, well, largely about, is that how the ceremonial laws have been fulfilled in Christ. And so because of that, we don't have to um, keep those laws. They don't apply to us. In fact, it, Paul explicitly lays it out in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where he says this, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat, kosher food laws, right, or drink, or with regard to religious festivals, new moon celebrations, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Okay? So the ceremonial laws aren't applying to us anymore. What about judicial laws? Well, the judicial laws were for Israel as a theocracy governed and ruled by God. The United States is not Israel. They don't apply to us. So if a friend asks you, hey, you want to just take your Bible and enforce all these things on Americans, don't you? You can respond by saying, no, I, I don't think that we are Israel and we're not required to keep all of these judicial laws that Israel was to keep. You might also add something like, all of those laws are founded on morals and it is wise and would be good for us to have moral foundations to our laws. And the Bible gives us great moral foundations. Well, what then, if we don't have to keep the ceremonial law and the judicial law doesn't apply to us, what about the moral law? Well, hopefully you know that if we're preaching a series on the Ten Commandments, the answer to that is yes, it still applies. Um, it is upheld by Jesus' example in how he lives life and in his teaching. For example, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes through and talks a lot about the law of God, what you've heard commanded, and then he goes and teaches on it, right? And he says in Matthew 5, 17, that he came not to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. So Jesus has come honoring them, upholding them, and explaining them. He gives the commandment in, in Matthew chapter 22 to love God and love neighbor, right? He says, he's asked by teachers, he says, okay, they're asking him, what's the, what's the greatest law? All the Old Testament, we're going to trick Jesus on this one. And Jesus says to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then what does he say? All the law and the prophets, which is a way of saying all of the Old Testament, hangs on these two commandments. So Jesus is saying that these two things summarize all of the Old Testament law, which the Old Testament law itself says. Deuteronomy 6, 5 is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And Leviticus 19, 18, I think it is, says to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is saying, this is the sum of the law. But what the Ten Commandments do then is give you application of how, well, what that love might look like. So Jesus doesn't come to destroy the law that he authored. He comes to fulfill it. What he is destroying is the Pharisees' teaching and misrepresentation of that law. That's what he is undoing. In essence, you could say when Jesus comes and he starts talking about the law, he's not doing away with it. He's republishing it. It's like this book needs to be republished, but let me tell you how to do it. This is the way. 
And so all that to say that the Ten Commandments are still relevant today. You say, okay, well, that's nice. Maybe I'll remember that. Maybe I won't. I hope you do. But how does it impact me? How does that influence my life? What am I supposed to do with those? Let's zoom in on three good uses of the Ten Commandments. Will you put the, the graphic up, the slide for the sermon graphic? So this is the sermon graphic. Thanks, Jarrett, for creating this for us. The good life, blueprints, living in love, right? I want you to notice a few things about this graphic. Um, if you, I don't have a laser pointer, so I'm just going to run over here and touch it. I can't touch it. But um, you'll notice it's like sort of like an architectural plan building, right, being designed. Um, so it's a blueprint in that way, right? Blueprints for living in love. You'll also notice at the bottom left here, there's a ruler, because there's also another ruler at the top up there, okay? And then you'll also notice there's a lamp there illuminating the whole thing. We're going to talk about three good uses for the Ten Commandments, and I want you to remember these images. Blueprints, ruler, and lamp. Okay? Blueprints, ruler, and lamp. So what are some of the good uses? One of the good uses of the Ten Commandments that it gives to you and me is that it is a blueprint to help order society, to help order a just and good society. It's one of the things that it is good for. It helps us to restrain evil. Um, you can see how the Ten Commandments would be good, right? I mean, don't steal my stuff, I won't steal your stuff. Don't cheat with my wife, I won't cheat with your wife right? Don't kill me, and well, I couldn't kill you if you killed me, but like, let's not kill each other, right? Like, these things are all good. Yes, of course we want those in our society. Those are good things. We'll take those, please. Thank you very much, right? And so it's good, but it also helps restrain evil. In Romans 13, verse 4, we can put this slide on the screen as well. Paul's writing to people. Where are the people that he's writing to? The book is called Romans. They're in Rome. Good. Okay. So they're not in Israel. So the judicial laws are very different in Israel than they are in Rome. Okay? And he's writing to the people in Rome, to the Christians there, and he's saying, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Those Caesars that, that they have to live under are their servants for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. What Paul is saying is that one of the good roles of law is that government can use law to help restrain evil in a society. And this is a good thing. You and I want this, right? You and I want the bully to be knocked off of the playground. You and I want justice. We want to prevent more evil. Because those who don't restrain their evil inclinations should be stopped before they walk into schools and shoot kids right? So we want evil restrained. That's a good thing. God will finally bring judgment on all evil when he returns, when judgment day comes. But until that day, he has ordered governments to use law to help restrain evil. And that's a good thing for our society. So the first thing is, it's that blueprint, right? One of the good uses of the Ten Commandments is like a blueprint. It shows you good ways to live and ways to restrain society. Societies will put that together in different ways, but it would be really helpful if they based them off of the Ten Commandments. 
But the second thing that the law does, that the Ten Commandments do, is that is a good use for it, is they are like a ruler. And they're like a ruler because a ruler measures things. And it shows you where you measure up, and it shows you where you don't measure up. And so the Ten Commandments are intended to expose your sin and reveal the righteous character of God. God is righteous. He is just. When he gives laws, those are reflections of the very nature of himself. That he is good. And we need to learn and see those because it tells us more about the character and nature of God. We read in, in Deuteronomy today about how, he, uh, that how Moses is saying he went on the mountain to meet with God and made this covenant. And he says he didn't make it with your ancestors, but he actually did, right? I mean, Deuteronomy means the second law. Moses is about to enter the promised land. This means they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years already. It was 40 years earlier that they actually got the Ten Commandments. And Moses is republishing the law. Why? Because there's a new generation of people who have now grown up and are getting ready to enter the promised land. And he says, it wasn't for your ancestors, it was for you. And what he's saying is it's both. God made a covenant with you, with his people. It's for you. And in doing that, God is saying, I made a covenant with you and I will keep it. One of the things that we are learning about the character of God is that he is faithful to keep his promises. And then one of the things that he says in Deuteronomy 5, verse 6 that we read today, is he says, I'm the Lord, your God, okay? I am the Lord, I'm God, and I'm your God. And then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And then nine more times he says, you shall, you shall, you shall, you shall, you shall, you shall. Do you, do you see what's happening here? He says, I'm your God, you shall. There's a relationship. Because I am God and my character and who I am this is how you are to live. This is how you are to be. But the problem is we don't measure up, and we know that. Um, I don't know if you guys like Calvin and Hobbes or not, but here's a, a cartoon of Calvin and Hobbes. I don't know if you can read it, so I'll try to read most of it to you. Here's what it says. It says, uh, did you make any resolutions for the new year? Heck no. I'm fine just the way I am. Why should I change? In fact, I think it's high time the world started changing to suit me. I don't see why I should do all the changing around here. If the new year requires resolutions, I say it's up to everyone else, not me. I don't need improvement. Everyone else does. How about you? Do you make resolutions? Well, I had resolved to be less offended by human nature. <laughs> but I think I blew it already. <laughs> One of the things that happens in our society, even if we don't want anything to do with the law of God, is we have laws. We can't help but have laws. And we all know intuitively in our conscience that there's something we don't measure up to, that some way we have done wrong, that we fall short. We hear it when people say things like, you must affirm me. Why? Because they feel like they need that and they're not measuring up in a way. We hear it when people say things like, if you're offended, then shame on you. Because I don't need to change. I'm good as I am. But they're trying to justify it by telling you, you can't feel that way about them. Right? All that to say, not that either that's right or wrong, but to say that there is a right and wrong. We know that. Each person knows that intuitively. We cannot escape this idea of law. 
We can't just say, let's just love everybody and we don't need any laws. That's not the way it works. It's a reflection of the deeply seated reality that our conscience reminds us that we do wrong. And Jesus says things in Matthew 5, like, you heard it was said, but I say to you, if you hate your brother, you've already murdered him in your heart. Or if you lust after a woman, then you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Right? And so he takes the law and he says it's not just about the actions of the law, but it actually starts in your heart. And he drives it to the very heart of the people. And he says again, you love your neighbor, hate your enemy is what you've heard it said. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see what Jesus is doing? He's not lightening the law and just saying let's love everybody. He's saying the full application of the law goes so deep into your heart that if you stare at it, you're going to be like, how am I supposed to keep that? And so if you're thinking, I'm pretty good. I mean, I've read the Ten Commandments before. I'm pretty good. I got it under control. If that's what you're thinking, then it's possible you're doing one of two things. The first thing you might be doing is shrinking the law to make it manageable. Shrinking the law and making it manageable, in which case, to do so, so that you feel better about yourself, you're also shrinking Jesus and saying, Jesus, I don't really need you to forgive all these sins because I'm not that simple because the law is really not that deep. It doesn't go that deep into my heart. Or the other thing you might be doing is weaponizing it. You might be weaponizing the law and using it to manipulate others, to beat others over the head with it so you can feel better about yourself, which is a terrible way to use the law. That's not a good way to use the law. That's the way abusive people use the law. Let me suggest to you one other thing. If, if you don't like to read your Bible, like there's lots of reasons you might not like to read it. Like it's really big, first of all. I don't know if you've noticed that. Like, like Tolstoy or something, right? Like it's big, okay? So it's big. And, and maybe it's hard to understand. Those are some good. But, but if one of the reasons you don't like to read it is because it convicts you of your sin, you read it and you're like, I don't like that. I don't want to have to live that way. Right? It makes you feel guilty. It's because it's a ruler. It's showing you where you don't measure up. It's showing you, like, look, you don't have what it takes. And so sometimes you just do that and you give up and like, I'm done with it. I don't know what else I can do with it. But that's part of the point of it. it isn't so that you give up on reading the Bible. Part of the point of it is to say, you don't have what it takes. Who does? And there's only one answer to that question. And its name is Jesus. It is meant to drive you to the cross. So you go, Jesus, I can't do this. This is what Paul tells us in Galatians 2, verse 16. He, he expounds on it more in chapter 3, but for now we're just going to read this verse. He says, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ, Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because guess what? By the works of the law, no one will be justified. The law isn't here to say to you, look how good you measure up. That's not what it does. God's law doesn't show pretty good people how to get a little bit better. It shows you how desperately you need Jesus and how far off track you are. And if you minimize it to say, oh, I think I've done this pretty well, you're probably missing the weight of the law and also missing the goodness and the character of God. 
So without Christ, the law brutally condemns, like a building inspector saying, this house and these house planes are no good. It's got to be torn down. If you don't see that, then studying the Ten Commandments will lead you to despair. I don't want to lead you to despair. I want to lead you to the beauty of Christ. And so as a ruler, it's going to convict you. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Because it makes you see Jesus. And then the third way that we're going to talk about the law is as a light. But before we do that, I want you to look at Romans 7 with me. Romans 7, verses 21 to 25. The words will be on the screen. So the Apostle Paul is writing again to the people in Rome. He's talking about how he's a follower of, of God, right? A follower of Jesus. And he's talking about the law. And he says, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, okay? He wants to do good because he knows God's law. He wants to do good. There's evil right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. It's good. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. What is he saying? He is saying that this side of heaven, there is a battle in life. And that battle is having, as a Christian, this desire to do what is good and what God asks us to do, but also the, the uh, holdovers of sin, the power and the allure to do what is wrong. And we're in this battle back and forth. And God's law serves as a measuring stick to show us where we are in there. But it should drive us to Christ because that's what it does for Paul. What am I going to do? I'm going to look to Jesus who's going to rescue me. Let's look at this last point, though, the third way. So it can be a blueprint, it can be a ruler, and it can be a light to our path of obedience is the third thing. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Jesus, in John chapter 8, he's talking and he says to people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He will have the light of life. So God's word, his laws, are like a light. They illumine a path that is good for us to walk on. It's the way we should go and not that way. This is what Moses is doing with the whole people of Israel as they're leaving the wilderness now and saying, what's the path forward? The path forward is into the land of promise where God is calling us. And as he has rescued you out of Egypt and redeemed you and brought you out of Egypt, and now he is leading you to this land, you need to know these laws. And then at the very end of chapter 5 in verses 32 and 33, he says this, So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live, uh, live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you were possessed. Prosper, prolong your days, so that it may go good with you and good for you. Right in this right direction. If you obey God's law, there are good things about that. So what I want you to notice about that is as they are on their way to the promised land, these laws are given not simply to say this is about a destination, but it's about transformation. That because God has redeemed you, he will also work to transform you. 
the Old Testament, as we're reading in Deuteronomy 5, and as the whole foundation for the Ten Commandments, you need to understand the Old Testament has this structure to it, especially with Israel. God saves first. He redeems you. And then he says, now as my people, this is what it looks like to obey me. And if you ever get those backwards, you're in a big mess. If you ever think, this is what I got to do to obey God so that he will then save me or love me or approve of me, you're in a world of hurt. And that leads back to that despair because you'll have the ruler trying to measure yourself and you're going to fall short of it. So in the Old Testament, God delivers people, he rescues them, and then he says, this is how you should live. Guess what happens in the New Testament? The same thing because it's all one story, one book. In the New Testament, God provides salvation to people through Jesus, which he has done for all people of all time. And then the work of transformation to be more like Christ begins. So the law reveals the good character of God and obeying it shapes us to become more like Jesus. I said before, without Christ, the law brutally condemns. But with Christ, the law beautifully reconstructs how we practice love so that life is good. I want you to see, as we go through the Ten ten Commandments, that law and love are not enemies. They're actually allies. They're actually allies. They go together. Love is willing to have law shape and order life. To say, oh, that's what it looks like for me to love. Let me, let me give you an example. Marriage vows contain exclusive agreements. Okay? When two people get married, they are usually in love. When they are in love, what they come to do is express those vows or those laws that will order that love, right? So I took vows when I got married. I, Andrew, take you, Michelle, to be my wedded wife, and I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to forsake all others and be your faithful, loving, and devoted husband in sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow as long as we both shall live. Why? Because love attaches law that says, I love you so much, I'm willing for this commitment to be there to order love. Right? Lawlessly saying that you love is simply sentimentality. Until you put words into action, it's only sentimentality. You don't know if it's actually going to be practiced. On the other hand, lovelessly serving the law is brutality. Lovelessly serving the law is brutality. For example, if on our anniversary I bring Michelle flowers, it's a very kind and loving thing to do, and she gives me a big kiss and says, I love you. I say, ah, don't worry about it, I'm just doing my duty. Uh, yeah, I don't have to explain anything else there how that goes. Because lovelessly serving the law is brutality. It's brutality. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He didn't say it'd be easy. But he says, if you love me, you will be drawn to live the way that I live 
according to my laws. Love and law, then, are not enemies but allies. I hope you can see how that's an important link as a foundation for shaping a good life that might be very different from what we normally say, this is what a good life looks like. So as we go through this series on the Ten Commandments, remember, they're a blueprint, a plan that is good. It's a ruler that will show you wonderfully the good character of God and also convict you of how you fail to measure up and how I fail to measure up. That means it's also good news that drives us to the cross. And they are a lamp that will help light your path to follow Jesus and to live in his love. So thanks for enduring that structure before we dive in to run through the Ten Commandments. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are good, that your laws are good, and that you give us good news, that you have come to save the weak, the sinners, the helpless, because you are the one who has kept the law perfectly. When we fail it, we can still delight in you and rejoice that we are loved. We've been adopted into the family, and you're not kicking us out. Lord, help that depth of love to shape the way we actually live. For those who are thinking, I don't know, there's too many bad things that have happened to me. I just don't know if God's good. Lord, would you show your goodness to them? We know you don't promise life is easy this side of heaven. We know that in heaven you will end all suffering and sorrow and sin. And we know in the meantime that you entered our suffering to be with us in Jesus, the light of the world, in our darkest of days. So walk with us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.